Welcome to the All Things Nintendo podcast. I'm Brian Shea from Game Informer, and this is a weekly podcast to discuss all the biggest news and games from the world of Nintendo. As you may have seen, Game Informer revealed its cover for our next issue as Super Mario Bros. Wander, and guess what? I wrote the cover story. I have played more of that game than anybody else outside of Nintendo, and I will be giving my hands-on impressions during the main segment of this episode. But first, we're going to break down a little bit of news out of this week. It's not a huge news-heavy week, but joining me for the first two segments is Game Informer's Wesley LeBlanc. Wesley, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm excited to hear what you have to say about uh, Wonder. I don't think we've, like, chatted about it. I've read your stuff, and I've read what's coming, but I haven't actually heard what you have to say. So I intentionally wanted to have you on this episode because I have talked a lot about Wonder on several podcasts, including the Game Informer show twice, which, you know, that is Kyle Hilliard, Marcus Stewart, and Alex Van Aken. And then you joined the show this week right as I was leaving. So (laughs) I was like, I want to get like a fresh perspective in my conversation about Super Mario Brothers Wonder. So it's at least a a different conversation for people who listen to both shows because, you know, I'm not playing anything different for all things Nintendo that I didn't play for the Game Informer show. But, you know, we'll attack it from different angles. We'll have a a good time doing it. But first up, uh, I did want to give a brief show note about video. If people are watching it on YouTube, you know, I've been trying to do video when possible. Wesley and I recorded video and I edited video for last week's episode. But for those who watched on YouTube, you saw there was no video. The reason for that is Adobe Premiere decided not to export the video. Every time I tried it, literally I tried exporting maybe 15 times. And each time either Adobe Premiere would crash or the export would, uh, the, the exported video would crash like several minutes in. So I don't know what was going on with that one. Maybe there was some sort of corrupted file in there. We're going to try it again this week. So if you're watching this and there is video, Yay! If you're watching, there's no video. That is why. And, uh, you know, maybe we will reconsider doing the whole video thing if Adobe Premiere decides to continue being difficult. Because that was one of the most frustrating days in recent memory for me as I'm trying to get this stupid program to export the video that I'd already edited. And, uh, yeah. So, apologies for anybody who wanted to watch video last week and was unable to. But either way, we'll have the audio version up on all the podcast stream or all the podcast platforms and then audio on YouTube at the very least. But fingers crossed for video. Uh, but, Wes, we're going to jump over into the news. First up, it's probably something that doesn't really affect a whole lot of people, but it's still pretty big news nonetheless. Nintendo has announced that online play and other online functionality is ending for both the 3ds and the wii u they are giving a date of early april 2024 and uh what they say that means is no online co-op no internet leaderboards and no other forms of data distribution so i guess like if there's some sort of like i don't know like communication that you can do like i i know they shut down meverse a long time ago but like i'm assuming there's some sort of stuff that like I'm not thinking about where like, you know, a a game will communicate with like friends games and like maybe something like what we have in Mario wonder where there's like ghost data that Mm -hmm. will appear, but yeah, that's all going to go away on both Wii U and 3ds. Um, There is a, an FAQ on nintendo.com that kind of talks a little bit about it. And it says that the Pokemon bank is actually going to continue in operation. So that's good. That actually turned free a couple years ago. If you remember, it used to be a subscription service, but then when they did, um, Pokemon Home, Pokemon Home on Switch, yeah. 
they I think they made the Pokemon Bank free. So that's a big deal for people who played a lot of their Pokemon games on 3DS over the, the lifespan of that system. That'll allow you to still transfer your Pokemon forward into the new new games. Uh, Nintendo Badge Arcade, which a lot of people got hooked on for a little bit there, uh, that will cease to exist. Like you'll try to load that up, and it'll give you an error message. And then Spot Pass, which is definitely not the uh, the more exciting, more popular uh, fun- feature of 3DS with Pass in it, will stop working. But Street Pass, thankfully, will continue to work if you are a diehard Street Pass fan. Like, I know some people are still hanging on to Street Pass by a thread. Yeah, there's like, it's coming back. I I know a few people that are in the industry who have been trying to, like, make it a thing at, like, uh, press events and conferences and stuff. It's very I love Street Pass. And I wish there was some sort of, I mean, I I never carry my Switch anywhere. Like, I, I bring it, and then, like, when I get to my hotel, it just lives in my hotel until my trip is over. But... Maybe if it was a little bit more compact, but I don't want it more compact because then I wouldn't yeah. have, then like the screen would be too small for like what I want in a, uh, like a handheld console, you know? Um, but the eShops of those platforms closed earlier this year, as we remember, but uh, you'll still be able to download content that you already own and, uh, you know, games, DLC. And then uh, Nintendo says that it may actually have to do it sooner if, unforeseen circumstances arise. I'm assuming that's just a standard disclaimer because they did reiterate they're currently planning to close in early April. But you are, you liked Wii U, right? Yeah, yeah, I have Because I know you're a Mario 3D World guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Are there any games that you would really want to fire up again before this kind of like online apocalypse occurs for these systems? Um, Probably Super Smash Bros. uh, for Wii U. Really? Uh, That's... I really enjoyed that game and I have that was like the one that me and all my friends got back into and like we would play on the weekends until 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning like it was like our game and we did that for a little bit with ultimate but it didn't really stick the same way I think just because we're older now and we have like busier lives Um, and then probably Splatoon uh, was the one that came up for me in my yeah just because uh, again, same reason I have very fond memories of Splatoon and two and three didn't stick with me the same way one did um not sure why i I do think that like three and two are probably better games but uh i don't know the experience of like wow this is a new ip from nintendo and it's like a shooter and it's it's strange and weird and uses gyro like very cool so probably that um but yeah it's it's it kind of sucks that this just yeah you can't play these games anymore in that way especially like splatoon is basically useless at that point um uh, after single this. player but i don't even know if you can access the inkopolis plaza without that's what, yeah exactly yeah. like how does that work which sucks because i love that first game single player um yeah yeah original splatoon is the only one i can really think of i think the vibes of that game are incredible even as like the gameplay was improved mm-hmm. in two and three uh, smash on wii u i feel like was completely just overshadowed by ultimate like once ultimate came out like i I could still see the value in going back to like melee or like smash 64 for the sake of like historical curiosity and i know that a lot of people still kind of maintain that melee is the better smash brothers game but man i feel like wii u was made completely irrelevant by the time because ultimate had a lot of like the same gameplay and same stuff it Mm -hmm. just had a lot more of it you know so i don't know i I mean it's definitely true i just i don't know like booting up that game and hearing its theme song um like well, again, would be really cool. I loved that um, Smash uh, 4 song. And yeah, I don't know. Just to like see it one more time since it sure. won't be the same. I mean, yeah, but you're right. Ultimate did kind of 
take its place. I just thought of one that everywhere. was like the uh, the data transfer example that I was really kind of reaching in in struggling to grasp. Super Mario Maker. Oh yeah, that's some data transfer stuff that it requires online if you want to download other people's games or other people's levels. I made some really cool courses involving those amiibo costumes mm. that don't exist in Mario Maker Two, so that's kind of a bummer to lose those. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I still I still have them, just nobody else will be able to have them. But like, I had some really highly rated courses that use those amiibo costumes, and I like you know it just didn't feel the same in Mario Maker Two, even though mario maker 2 was probably a better game it just didn't it also didn't have the touchpad capabilities of editing your level i mean you could do it with the switch if you did it in handheld mode but it just didn't yeah. feel the same like the stylus was actually really great for that so i guess those are the my, my two answers for I, i'm not going to and let's be real i'm not going <laughs> to yeah, plug same. in my no, wii u again yeah. <laughs> same um but there's yeah. federation force on 3ds rest in peace i actually will defend that game more than most people i reviewed it for us and I got all the way to the end and I was like, you know what? That was not a total like awful experience. I think that it, it was a problem having the Metroid branding on it. I think I gave it a seven out of 10. So it wasn't like I was singing its praises left and right, but I was like, you know what? This game is fine. And everybody wanted to jump all over it and like, cause yeah, I understand why, but yeah. Nine, seven, five. Wow. I did you not it. give it a nine, seven, five. <laughs> I think you're reading our Super seven. Mario Odyssey yeah. <laughs> uh, review that Ryan did uh, back in 2017. But yeah, so pour one out for the Wii U and 3DS online functionality ending scheduled for early April, but apparently it may happen earlier if Nintendo so chooses uh you know you were on the show when we were giving crap to mortal Kombat one on switch and you know we joke a lot about kind of the outdated hardware of the switch so it's kind of fitting that this next story is about one of my favorite early xbox 360 games landing on the system that is hitman blood money and this is called Hitman Blood Money Reprisal. It includes the 12 sandbox missions in the original, but also adds new features, which I'm excited about because I loved Hitman Blood Money back in the day. But like, it does feel outdated when you play the current Hitman uh, trilogy and then try to go back to one of those early ones. But yeah, they add instinct mode, which lets you kind of like observe the areas around you. Uh, Assassin's it, Creed. Yeah, the style. Assassin's Creed. The, the, yeah. Uh, the ever-present mini-map was one of the big ones. And then uh, it says new gameplay improvements from the later entries in the series. I don't know quite what they're referring to here. So that all mm. sounds great. Where I'm hesitant, <laughs> coming to Switch in the winter. But before that, in the fall, it's going to iOS and Android, which has me worried that this is going to be a mobile port they just bring over to Switch. Which... Maybe. I mean, here's the thing, though, like... Apple's doing doing the thing with their phones. They've got. I've been, I've been listening to what people have been saying about Resident Evil games on Apple, and like apparently it's might as well be as good as consoles. So perhaps this is like a maybe it's a Switch port that's going over to Apple. Maybe we got to flip the the way we look at these ports now. I just worry because you know we've. I remember when we had like, God, it was like an early port to. I think it was like gta san andreas to like xbox live arcade back in the day mm. and it was just like literally the mobile version of the game that they made it so it worked with like a gamepad <laughs> and it was like this sucks yeah. but yeah phone technology has come a long way so that is a fair point 
that I mean, I'm not saying like, oh, this is going to be garbage. I'm just saying that made me a little hesitant when I saw that, like the three platforms listed are two phones and the switch. It's like, yeah. OK, that, that might is, be a problem. Is Blood Money like a fan favorite or something? I only oh, know yeah. Hitman oh, is like yeah. the World of Assassination trilogy, which is amazing. But I actually had not played anything before that. So I wasn't sure if Blood Money specifically was the one to bring back. I feel like before the World of Assassination trilogy, Blood Money was kind of the fan favorite. Is it how different are those from World of Assassination? You mentioned the 12 sandbox. Is it still just kind of like figuring out a way to kill somebody in a yeah. big map? Make it make it look like an accident, do it like kind of more direct. Like I would say that it really established the what we know as like the modern hitman formula, mm. at least in my eyes. And it just, you know, got outgunned by modern technology and modern gaming conventions. So if they can adapt certain gameplay conventions that we now are used to, I think this game would be amazing. And, you know, Blood Money was definitely my favorite prior to the uh, the World of Assassination trilogy. And I still haven't spent enough time in the World of Assassination trilogy. I, I feel like I've played the missions in Hitman 1 so many times. And by Hitman mm-hmm. 1, I mean the one that came out in like 2016 or 2017, whatever that was. But... I've played those missions so many times because I always like do like, oh, all the levels are forward compatible with the new level or the new game. I'm just going to play it in that. And then I just fall off before I get to the sequel level. So I love that first Hitman game in this current trilogy. But uh, Hitman Blood Money, I spent a lot of time in that. I remember when I was a tennis instructor back in college, I would play, I would, I would you know be teaching tennis to people. Uh, and then the other instructors, when we had like breaks, we would just be t- sitting and talking about our time, like assassinating people in Hitman Blood Money because it was just <laughs> so awesome. much fun. And then I would go home and play it and then we'd come back in and talk. It was like such like literal water cooler moments because we were standing yeah. around a water cooler, like drinking water in between <laughs> our sessions and like and, and our workout stuff. And yeah, that was so much fun. And I would love to relive it. And there's some cool levels in there. I, I'm assuming the levels... I mean, I haven't played Blood Money since probably around that time. So I would imagine the levels are a lot smaller scale than what we have in the World of Assassination trilogy, where some of those levels are just sprawling. Yeah, they're gigantic. Probably going to be a lot more self-contained, given the technology they were developed for. But still, very good game. I'm very hopeful for this. And I actually have faith that this is a port from another system that will run well. So (laughs) there we go. (laughs) We shall see. Uh, Wes, this is one that hit this morning before we recorded it. Back in 2020, we got Lego Super Mario. Now we know the next Nintendo collaboration is going to be Lego Animal Crossing. We don't really know a whole lot about it. Nintendo released a uh, a very brief trailer on Twitter this morning. And uh, I did some digging. And back in August, Video Game Chronicle reported that the, the Lego Animal Crossing was coming, but with the following prices. And it didn't have any descriptors or anything. They just had price points listed and the number of pieces. Hmm. So for $15, I mean, again, these are all reported. I guess they they found it in like a data mine or something like that for like the listings in the back end of the lego.com. I think that was how they they found these listings. They have, there's a 170 piece set for $15, a 164 piece set for $20, a 233 piece set for $30, a 389-piece set for $40, and then the most expensive is a 535-piece set for $75. Hmm. 
Okay, so these are on the smaller side, actually. Yeah, no, like, giant Bowser like we have. I think that was 2,800 pieces or something like that. Yeah, and it's like $300. <laughs> it was, yeah, that was a lot. But I would imagine, like, one of these is like a house. One of these is going to be like... A beach or something from New Horizons. Yeah, the of, island, yeah. Like, a, like a little, like, island diorama. One of them's probably, like, Tom Nook's thing. Maybe, like, a... His bank, like, yeah. Yeah, his bank or, like... um what's the timmy and tommy's thing the uh the house building thing the uh no they're like the, the shop i don't know i'm, oh, I'm just trying gosh, to think of, like I what have... these could be probably I, a museum I don't know, or a the, coffee oh, the shop the roost museum would be cool i i just i'm trying to think of what some of the smaller ones would be maybe it's just like hey here's like a palm tree and like a beach ball and like a couple of villagers i don't know it wouldn't be it's not like the most exciting set aside from the character figures like mario is cool because like building a mario level is sounds awesome but yeah like if you take away the characters from animal crossing it's kind of just like uh some normal stuff like land houses buildings trees so <laughs> yeah i'm sure that like the appeal is going to be the different collecting like all the different characters Oh my god, they, they've got us. They really yeah. understand like why people are going to buy this stuff. I bet every single set comes with different characters, and then you're going to oh, have yeah. to get all of them if you want. Ugh. Thankfully, I'm not a Lego guy because I'm always like, I, "What? When am I going to be able to build this? Where am I going to put it? And how am I going to prevent it from falling and breaking?" Yeah, and they're just they're so expensive now. I I don't I buy a lot of them, but I don't build them. My wife loves Lego, and they're just. It's like wild how expensive they can get. If you want like some of the really cool stuff, like the stuff I have my eye on, like Christopher Nolan's Batman Batmobile, like, yeah, you're paying a lot of money and it sucks. The ones that almost got me were the Mario and the Sonic ones, because mm. those are just ones that like as a kid, I, those were dream Lego sets. Yeah. But now it's just like I can't be bothered. Yeah. <laughs> I think they're cool and I'm glad they exist. But there's also way too many things to to try to keep up with these days. Yeah. Um, the last piece of information we have from that video game Chronicle report, again, this was back in August that they did this report, but they reported that the collection is going to be available March 2024, which we did not get mm, from that okay. trailer. So again, that may have been accurate back when they reported it. It may be still accurate. We don't know. It's um, pretty crazy. But, that's that's four years after New Horizons. I wonder if it just takes that long for these collaborations to happen or if they were just late to it because like imagine if they had this out in 2020 like during the pandemic the height of the pandemic or like 2021 even when people were just all over new horizons well 2020 is when the mario one came out so i imagine they prioritized that yeah and like you know that was when the nintendo collaboration really started is there another uh another nintendo franchise that you would want to see i mean zelda is the one that immediately comes to mind yeah like, zelda but, would be especially with probably, ultra hand yeah, oh that'd dude be <laughs> they could do i mean they could make you can make Zelda sets for for years, just all the different games. One year, like do a do a different game a year, and you're set for like. Oh my god, 15 that years. might be the one that gets me. That yeah. Oh my god, yeah. If you had to pick uh, one Zelda game that they do a set on, what would it be? Would you want like some classic Zelda or like this new Breath of the I Wild, mean, Tears of the Kingdom? The natural fit is Tears of the Kingdom, just because Ultra Hand is literally building stuff in yeah. the game. But probably Ocarina of Time. Yeah, that'd be. That yeah, would be cool. Be classic. A, a Wind Waker set would be incredible. Yeah, build like a little ocean. I don't like know how that would work. And yeah, like yeah. that that has one of the coolest Hyrule castles, so I wouldn't hate that. But yeah, like there's plenty of stuff. Like imagine, like, you know how like they do like like I said, they have the giant Bowser. They could do a giant master sword 
made out of Legos. Ooh, that would be neat. Yeah. Or Hylian Shield. God, the possibilities really are endless with the Zelda franchise. I am just waiting for that to happen now. It's definitely going to happen. I mean, they've done Mario and Donkey Kong, like Zelda's next in line. Animal if they Crossing, continue. Yeah. Oh, I guess, yeah, Animal Crossing. It is. But yeah. yeah, I do wonder why they skipped. I feel like Zelda would have been the next fit, but Animal Crossing is cool. I'm guessing that like the Animal Crossing crowd has maybe more crossover with Lego than the Zelda crowd. Yeah, that checks out more mainstream, know. even though I guess Zelda is mainstream now. <laughs> All right. So the last piece of news that we're going to cover uh, we haven't gotten a ton of information about Super Mario RPG that is coming to Switch, the remake. Um, we've gotten some trailers, gotten a little bit of minor information, but this week Nintendo released a music comparison for the game and announced that you can swap between the original compositions from the Super Nintendo and the new arrangements created for this remake. Uh, are, are you a Super Mario RPG guy? I forget if I've asked you that. I'm not. I've never played it because um, I did not have a, what was that, 64, right? Oh, it was a, a SNES. Oh, shoot. I had an SNES. I don't know why I didn't play it. Oh, weird. Yeah, but yeah, no. yeah I haven't played it, um, but I'm very excited to. It looks awesome, and I've heard great things. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be checking it out this time. I've, I've said it a few times on this podcast. I only really played the intro a few times of that game because it's just such a cool intro. Like, it literally starts with a battle against Bowser. <laughs> it's like, yeah, this is so cool. Sick. Um, which, you know, that kind of broke my mind back when I was, how old was I in that, when this came out? Like nine. So I was like, what? You start off with a, a fight against the big bad. So that was kind of neat. But yeah, from like all of the stuff I've heard, it's like, yeah, why was this not on switch sooner? Because it's not on switch online. It's literally only on the Nintendo, the super Nintendo mini console. That's like the way you can play it. Yeah, um, but it was never put on Switch Online, which is weird because it seemed like for a while they were only putting the games that were on Switch Online. But there's a few that they've skipped, like Final Fantasy VI is not on the Switch Online, but you can get the Pixel remasters. But it's nice to finally have a modern version. It seems like this is very much just like sticking to the faithful recreation of Super Mario RPG. And I'm all for that because yeah. it seems like just a really awesome game and people are super stoked on it. And it the visuals they do the perfect job of like paying homage to the original art style and like kind of like the blocky character models while also looking like a brand new game. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, it's awesome. I, it looks gorgeous. I can't wait. Absolutely. So since that news story was all about music, we're going to go to break listening to, some, listening to some Super Mario RPG music. And uh, when we get back, we'll be talking about my experience doing our cover story on Super Mario Brothers Wonder. We will be right back. Earlier this week, we revealed that our latest cover story is Super Mario Brothers Wonder. This is the first time we've had a Mario game on the cover since the last 2D Mario game, New Super Mario Brothers U, back when the Wii U launched. Even then, though, it was more of like a Wii U launch issue featuring Super New Super Mario Brothers U than an actual New Super Mario Brothers U cover. So that only hammers home how rare it is for us to get a Mario game on the cover. So obviously, I have a Nintendo podcast, so I want to talk about this uh, this information that I got from the cover story, but also the experience of doing a cover story with Nintendo and, you know, just going through the process and like what I ended, what I ended up doing to accomplish this cover story. 
So, Wes, you've had a chance to check out some of the coverage of Super Mario Brothers Wonder, both my original hands-on impressions back when I went to like a, a media-wide event. But uh, you know, what is your hype level? We're two weeks out from Super Mario Brothers Wonder. Before we have this conversation, like, how much are you looking forward to this game? I'm very, very, very excited. Um, admittedly, I'm. I think that's exciting. Most exciting for me is um, 2D Super Mario is like one of the um, things that my wife like loves. Like she plays some games, um, but she doesn't really like 3D stuff too much. Be uh, she just hasn't played much of it and prefers like 2D. Um, especially with Mario. And it comes out the same day as Spider-Man 2. So we're going to have that like moment where I'm playing Spider-Man 2 on the TV and she's got her Switch Lite and she's going to be playing, playing Wonder. Actually, she'll probably use my OLED because why not um, to play Wonder. And so like we're going to be gaming together and it's going to be really awesome. And by the, and then when I beat uh, Spider-Man, I, she'll hopefully be done with Wonder and I'll be able to play that. So I'm looking forward to like the memory of us two playing these games together and knowing that she's going to like probably really love wonder and then i will also love it so my hype level is high but it's not day one for me because i will not be the one playing it on day one well you can play both like you you know it's oh co-op. true but like i'm i'm a i'm a i'm a single focus like if i start i'm gonna be starting spider-man like i can't not start spider-man on day one and that's just gonna be my focus for until i beat it and that might happen in a weekend and then i'm like take over wonder and we play together but yeah we'll see i, I i'm excited overall though i can't wait I may have already started Spider-Man, but that's beside Ooh. the point. Um, you can see the image of the menu. That's what we were allowed to, to send Ooh. out on uh, on my social media. But uh, Wes, we're t- we're here to talk about Super Mario Brothers Wonder. It is a uh, you know the first 2D Mario game, first all new. The, the way I'm I'm saying it is, you know, back in 1995, we got Yoshi's Island, Super Mario World 2, Yoshi's Island on Super Nintendo. After that, it was all 3D, right? Like it that yeah. a year later was when we got uh, Super Mario 64. And then it was really just off to the races. 2002 was uh, uh, Super Mario Sunshine, and then you know we were off to the Wii, which had Galaxy and Galaxy 2. And in that interim, though, 2006, it seemed like we were just never going to get a 2D Mario game again. It was like, okay, well, gaming is 3D now, so that's what Mario is going to be. And then they surprised us with a game called New Super Mario Brothers on the Nintendo DS, which was very interesting because everybody looks at the Wii as like, oh, my God, the Wii was a phenomenon. And it was. It was a huge success. But prior to the Switch, it was Nintendo's highest selling home console. It, It sold like 101 million units, which is absurd. But the DS just destroyed the Wii in terms of. Of popularity it's the second highest selling gaming system of all time only behind the ps2 by like i think it's like a million units it mm-hmm. like fell short of the ps2 which is wild to think about when you look at like how big the ps2 was but that was where we got the 2d revival for the mario series after an 11 year absence from 95 to 2006 and that felt like an eternity, so much so that people were just like, I, I don't think we're ever getting another 2D Mario game again. And yeah. then, you know, we got that in 2006. We got um, New Super Mario Brothers Wii, finally a home console game in 2009. And then in 2012, we got two New Super Mario Brothers games. We got New Super Mario Brothers 2 on 3DS and New Super Mario Brothers U 
on Wii U. And it's like, oh, wow, we we just have a lot of 2D Mario now. And of course, we were still getting 3D Mario. I mentioned Super Mario 3D World. Uh, We obviously got Super Mario Odyssey uh, the first year of the Switch's lifespan. And then in 2019, we got new Super Mario Brothers U Deluxe, but that wasn't an all new 2D game on a console, right? That was just a, a, a an upgraded port of the Wii ver- or the Wii U version. We did get like Mario Run, and we got Mario Maker and Mario Maker Two, but I don't really think those count as like you know mainline all new home console 2D games. If you take that qualifier where it's got to be a 2D game, it's got to be for a home console, and it's got to be all new. It's not like just like a remake or a port. It has still been the same 11-year gap between New Super Mario Bros. U on Wii U and Super Mario Bros. Wonder coming to Switch in two weeks. And when I figured that out while I was writing this cover story, I was like, oh my gosh, that is wild to think. Because it doesn't feel like 2D Mario has been gone all that long because we've gotten Mario Run, because Mario Maker kind of satisfied us a little bit on that end. But that's not like a Nintendo created game that was like here do it yourself we're not doing it we're making mario odyssey (laughs) and um so when i discovered that i was like wow this is like a giant gap between all new 2d console platformers in the franchise and i also looked at you know what the evolution was and what the the inspiration was and in talking to Takashi Tezuka, who, you know, he's been with Nintendo since 1984, literally working with the, the Super Mario series since the very first entry alongside wow. Shigeru Miyamoto. It's like how he's been with Nintendo almost 40 years. Like, I can't wrap my brain around that. I'm coming up on nine years with Game Informer, and that feels like an eternity sometimes. I mean, we, was it last week that we talked about their Nintendo's retention? Like, people just stay at Nintendo. Yeah, and they're not typically laid off from what I see either. So it's yeah. like, that's what you get from that, right? Like you get the, the 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 quality, the continued quality when you have these amazing employees like Shigeru Miyamoto, like Takashi Tezuka, like Eiji Aonuma, and even the director of Super Mario Brothers Wonder, uh, Shiru Mori, he has been with Nintendo since the late 90s. I think 99 was when he joined and his credits, I mean, so you look at like Takashi Tezuka, his credits are just maybe even more impressive than Shigeru Miyamoto's. The director of Super Mario World, the director of Super Mario World 2, the director of Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past. Yeah. Director of good. Link's Awakening. Like, how do you, like, I can't wrap my brain around that either. Of like, yeah, that's how wild. are you like the director of just banger after banger during that and then after that he kind of like became more in the producer role but yeah that that's just wild and then you know he's kind of become like the series producer of the mario franchise at this point and then other people have taken over like directorial uh, duties but he's kind of like the overseer of that franchise it feels like just like Eiji Aonuma has kind of become the producer of the zelda series and i asked uh takashi tezuko like why do you why do you think that franchises like super mario brothers and the legend of zelda are just you know they they were so revolutionary when they first came out and they're still putting out like just they're still industry leaders in their genres whenever they're whenever it comes out it's a big deal it's it's always like a baseline level of expectation that is higher than almost any other franchise why do you think that is and his answer was 
because there's people who have been here for so long working on the series. They understand the series and they also don't ignore the things that younger developers bring to the table. And that was a big part of Super Mario Brothers Wonder was they had a lot of younger developers they brought in. And like Takashi Tezuka was like, you know, I've been making Mario games for so long that I wanted to get some fresh perspectives and like hear out some new perspectives about like what a game in this era should be like. So they were like, all right, well, what, what kinds of things should we change about the Mario series? And like, you know, they had it. So like, if you die, you can just jump right back into the level. It doesn't kick you back out to the map or like when you're swimming now you can like, you can stomp enemies underwater and things of that nature. So they changed some stuff up without like making it not feel like a Mario game anymore, which is awesome. But also they were experimenting. So like Shiru Mori, he was thinking about like looking back at the original Super Mario Brothers. And he was like, all right, what made that original Super Mario Brothers game so amazing? And again, he did not work on that. He joined Nintendo like a decade and a half after that game came out. But he was still able to look back at it and as a player, as a fan, as now a developer at Nintendo for more than two decades, almost coming up on two to two and a half decades, which is so weird to think like, oh, he joined in 1999. He's one of the new guys at Nintendo. Yeah, it's like he's been wild. there for a quarter of a century. <laughs> wow. Is how I imagine. So he must be probably what in his like 40s or 50s. Um, I'm not sure. Right, like I, I wonder how young people join Nintendo because it seems, it seems like they they're either working a long a long a long part of their life or they're joining young. I wonder. Um, I am seeing if I can find Shiru Mori's age. Doesn't seem to be readily available. Hmm. Let's see what Takashi Tezuka. I know he has a Wikipedia page. He Takashi Tezuka is sixty two. Okay, so which he joined right out of college, basically, because you know yeah, he's been there yeah. for forty years, so he must have joined when he was about twenty-two. I wonder if it was just like a, a lot easier back then to join that early too, because it's like now, like joining Nintendo is probably like your dream that you shoot for when you're learning game development, and you're like, man, oh. I'd love to work for them one day. Back then, he was just like, here's my degree I just got. Can I come work for you? And they're like, yeah, sure. <laughs> so <laughs> so fun. But yeah, Shiro Mori, he was looking at the original Mario and he's like, okay, well, what are like the core tenets of this game? And one of them that he came to was it was filled with secrets and mysteries. That was the thing that like, he was like, I want to make a new game, new 2d game that is filled with secrets and mysteries. The way that the original super Mario brothers was filled with secrets and mysteries. Now we all take it for granted in 2023 that like, Oh, there's a pipe. I'll go down there and there'll be a new area probably. But like back in 1985, that was not something that was like commonplace or like, oh, I'll jump up and I'll hit this block and it may be a vinyl spawn and it'll go up in the air and there'll be a, like an area up in the clouds that I can go to. So he was wanting to ca capture that essence in a new the wonder, if you know, that, that sense of wonder. <laughs> and basically his original idea was like, oh, well, what we'll do is there'll be an item that you grab. And that'll warp you to a new area and then there'll be something to do there. And then you'll warp back to the area you were just in. And he taught, he, he asked uh, Takashi Tezuka, like, what do you think of this idea? And he's like, I like the, where you're going, but if you're just warping to a new area, how is that different from like getting in a pipe? And yeah. it's like, you should transform the area that you're currently in 
and that'll make it feel different. So that's how the wonder effects came into play, which uh, the wonder seed or wonder flowers are the item that you get. And when you get it, everything in the level basically just turns bonkers. Like there's one where like the pipes start going up and down and there's like, there's a pipe that's like inchworming across. That was one of the first ideas they came up with was like, what if there was a pipe that moved like an inchworm? <laughs> that's awesome. They, they were just like, what if Mario did a drug? And then this it is really does feel that way. So <laughs> that was like kind of the, the genesis of this idea. And so they actually went back and they like got all of the, the developers on the team to just think about like just off the wall ideas for ways they could transform the area of a level because like they were like, oh, we've got some, let's do it in a select few levels. And Shirumori went to like Takashi Tesla goes like, yeah, we're going to do it in like X number of levels. He didn't tell me like how many levels are originally going to be, but it was only going to be a small percentage of levels. And Takashi Tesla was like, so you really want to make a game filled with secrets and mysteries, right? And he was like, yeah. And he's like, well, then it's got to be in every main level. <laughs> and he's like, wait, so that means that like we have to develop these levels. And if you get the wonder flower, it has a different effect. But not only that, but the rest of the level still has to be fun and playable if you choose not to get the wonder flower. Because yeah. like it's an optional thing that you can get. And Does the, is the wonder flower permanent for the rest of the level or is it like no. on... The time, okay. So there, some of them have a timer, but really the goal of getting the Wonder Flower is to get the Wonder Seed. And mm. the Wonder Seed is like the main collectible of this game from what I understand. And when you grab it, it ends the Wonder Effect immediately. And then you just play the rest of the level. So that's the goal of um, getting the Wonder Flower. Is to, from what I can tell, the, the main goal is getting the Wonder Seed. And that ends up being the main collectible. And it seems like there's some stuff gated behind like a certain number of wonder seeds that you collect. So yeah, that ends up being uh, the the main thing behind Super Mario Brothers Wonder, like the main differentiating factor. But yeah, so Shiru Mori was like, all right, well, I have to come up with ideas for levels that have like you know they're fun to play whether you get the wonder seat or wonder flower or not so he was like i went back to him i was like hey this is what this means if we're gonna do this like there's got to be like basically two level designs for every level that we make because it's, it, it's got to be cool if you get the wonder flower it's got to be cool if you don't get the wonder flower that's a lot of work are we really going to do this and takashi tezuka was like yes we need to do this and he's like all right let's do it so they went to all of the developers and were like well, we, let's come up with some ideas. And they said they, they may have had a couple thousand ideas for like wonder effects. <sighs> and they wild. chiseled that down. I asked him how many, like what percentage of ideas made it into the game. And he was like, you know, maybe like 10%. And then he was like, wait a sec. Like now that I'm thinking about it, it may have been closer to like 1% of the ideas made it into the game. That's wild. That is, that's so fascinating. It is. And they ended up, you know, pulling a lot from younger developers who have just started at Nintendo. It's like, yeah, they're, they're gamers. They, they grew up playing video games. A lot of them are like diehard Mario fans. Like they, they know what a good Mario game is. So we actually had them come up with a lot of the ideas for like design and everything. And like how this game should work just from their perspective as like people who have been lifelong gamers. And like, you know, when Takashi Tezuka joined Nintendo, there was not a whole lot of gaming to be had, right? Like yeah. he joined before 
Super Mario Brothers came out, which, you know, it was a completely different world in that industry at that point. You know, Atari was obviously making big moves and there were a lot of things in the arcades. But yeah, Nintendo revolutionized gaming. So like, you know, Takashi Tezuka had two decades of life before like he really saw Nintendo come into prominence as a video game developer. So these other people, they were raised on probably something like the Nintendo 64 or even the GameCube. So they have a different idea of what a Mario game could be. And so they relied heavily on that. And Tezuka was like, yeah, we never like ignore the stuff that our younger developers bring to us. So we don't think like, oh, we're, we've been doing this for 40 years. We're, we know what we're talking about. Like, you can just do what we tell you. He's like, no, we always listen to people and hear them out and give their idea like the proper audience and then make a decision from there. And like he said, that's why this game is so creative. And, you know, Mori told me that Mario, the original Mario Brothers was the main inspiration for coming up with like Secrets and Mysteries. But the more I've played it, because I, I talked to them a lot about the legacy of the new Super Mario Brothers series leading into Super Mario Brothers Wonder. And they were like, yeah, though the idea behind Super Mario Brothers or New Super Mario Brothers was we want to kind of recreate or recapture the gameplay experience of the original Super Mario Brothers, but in a modern setting. And I think they accomplished that, right? Like it, it, the, the yeah. New Super Mario Brothers series, it was a very good franchise that ended up feeling a little bit samey by the end of it. But it, and it, was, it was always a solid game that came out of whatever they brought to the table. And it did feel like a modernized formula of the original Super Mario Brothers. You know, they were a lot of extra power-ups and everything, obviously. But, like, at, at its core, it felt that way. This one, to me, this is not them saying it. This is me saying it. This one, to me, feels like it's Super Mario World modernized in terms of, like, the, the level of creativity. Some of the levels have multiple exits. There's just a sense of discovery, a sense of just, like, kind of... They're trying. They're really flexing their creative muscles the way that they did in Super Mario World, because remember Super Mario World really took a lot of the stuff that Super Mario Brothers Three accomplished into like various new directions, and like they really started getting creative with some of their level design and some of their storytelling. That's how Wonder feels to me. It feels, and and I'm happy about that because I love Super Mario World. So yeah. to have Super Mario Brothers Wonder feel like kind of the spiritual successor to that game in the way that new super mario brothers felt like the spiritual successor of the original super mario brothers that's what gets me most excited i think yeah that is very exciting i haven't heard you say that but that is um yeah that rules super uh, mario world second best mario game so that's great <laughs> second news for best. me <laughs> first best being new uh, super mario 3d world of to course, you anyway. yeah, yeah, okay yeah. of course yeah yeah to most smart people yeah yeah Hey, I love Super Mario 3D World, but I disagree <laughs> with you there. Um, but yeah, so I played three exclusive levels. I, I've played probably two and a half hours of Super Mario Brothers Wonder. I did an hour-long gameplay session, 45 minutes to an hour gameplay session in New York with you know some other media members and playing co-op and all this other stuff. That was so much fun. I already talked about that on this show. Then I went to Nintendo Live, where I got a little bit of extra time playing a few levels at Nintendo Live. Then I went, after PAX and Nintendo Live, I went to Nintendo of America's headquarters out in Redmond, Washington. And there I got to spend the most amount of time playing Super Mario Bros. Wonder. And I got to replay all the levels that I already played. And then I got to play three exclusive levels 
multiple times through. So I really got to know those levels. There was, um, I'm bringing up the, the names here of the stages that I got to play. So the first one was Condarts Away. And that was basically like, it's a, it's a snow-based level, but it's snow. It's not ice, which is what I really like because you're not slipping and sliding all yeah. over the place. You have like traction, but it's still like the pretty like snow setting. And Condarts are basically these these birds that just hover and then when you come near them, they will just dart forward like a dart. So, you know, Condor and Dart, they, they're very good with wordplay over at Nintendo. Um, as in case, like, I mean, I guess that's Pokemon Company more so, but Pokemon is also very good with wordplay, especially when they have to yeah. localize all these things. Like, it's not like some of these don't make sense in other languages, I would imagine. So yeah. they would have to localize a lot of these for other people. But yeah, Condor's Away, very fun. I also really loved the the zip tracks, they're called. And those are the ones that you may have seen in the direct where it's like rails and like Mario's like grinding on it. And then like if you so if you come at it from above, you're grinding on it almost like a sonic level. And then if you jump up and come at it from below, it's like a zip line. So like you're Hmm. you're hanging on to it and basically you have to like dodge enemies and collect as many coins in that sequence. Very fast paced sequence. And then uh, the wonder effect in that level. um, This was the the top-down effect. Yeah. I'm just like looking at my notes here. Yeah, so it it shifts the perspective to be top-down and you're walking through. You can't really jump or anything, so you're just avoiding enemies. And it was very jarring to shift it to a top-down perspective and you're avoiding enemies, collecting flower coins. And for some reason, the flower coins, which are the purple coins that you collect throughout the levels, and it ends up um, being like the main currency in the game. Like you can go to the shop and buy stuff. It ends up uh, they they start one like running away from you almost in this top down oh, perspective. Awesome. It's it's very weird, but I, I liked that a lot. And then also uh, the condart something I didn't mention is that you can actually try to lure them to break bricks for you, and that'll open up new mm. paths. So that was the first level I played. The second level I played was where the Roombas rule, and Roombas are like these like sentient boulders that will roll towards you, and uh, you know they're they're you can defeat them. They're not like the bull rushes in the first hands-on preview that I did. These were actually defeatable. The wonder effect for this was fun. So you actually grab the, uh, you turn into spike ball Mario and literally you're just a ball. You're like a, you're a, a giant ball with spikes and it just puts you through like an obstacle course and you're like going off ramps and stuff like that, taking out enemies. There's bowling pin effects when you hit them. So oh, yeah, uh, I've seen they've shown that, that direct thing. They've right? shown that, yeah, yeah. That was so much fun. The sense of momentum is good on that, and it's just such a cool like power, power fantasy of just like, all right, I, these enemies are in my way. They are just getting Troll right through, bowled over, literally. Yeah. And uh, that was probably my favorite wonder effect in my session that I played. And they also that level also has topple rocks, which are these like tall yellow pillars, and you can push them over and like have them land on stuff and like have like domino effects. So like there's like five topple rocks in a row. You can knock one over and it knocks the rest of them over. But they also play with that a little bit creatively in that it has it so that sometimes it'll be blocking a path that you want to get into like a pipe. And like, there's like a, a ledge right here that like makes it so it's stuck in place. You have to come at it from another angle to knock it over to get into the pipe. So they play with it a little bit there. That was a really great level. 
the most difficult level that I played is called Countdown to Dropdown. And Dropdown Countdown Lifts are what they're called in the level. They're like these platforms. They have little numbers on the middle. And they will have a number. Every time you land on it, the number depletes. And if it reaches zero, it lets you fall through. So you have to be very conscious of how many times you're jumping on the thing. But it's not just when you jump. It's when your co-op partners jump. So if you're playing co-op, it's really difficult to like get to the end of this level. But also, at a certain point, when you're going through like a moving drop-down countdown lift, they have Lakitu come by and he starts throwing no. spinies on. So every time a spiny lands, so you're trying to like defeat them before. The tactic that I found was like you want to jump up and try to knock out Lakitu and then use his cloud to just pass over a lot of it. So that was the way I handled that. And then also, like, if there's no Lakitu, then the your co-op partners can keep going without having to worry about spinies. But if you do jump off, like, if the, the lift is going under, like, another, like, more solid platform, you can jump off and it, the number will actually come back after a certain period of nobody being on it. Okay. So, yeah, and they're always, like, trying to tempt you to jump. There's, like, you know, there's, oh, there's, like, a, a power up above you and you can get that, but it'll take one of your, uh, one of your lift Jumps, counts. Yeah. And then same thing, like, oh, there's some flower coins over here. You could jump and use one of your your landings on it, but, you know, is it worth it? So it's like this risk-reward. So that was really great. The The wonder effect of that one was – it's weird because that was the most difficult level that I played in my entire session. But the wonder effect, while fun, was still was, – was probably the most straightforward of all the wonder effects. Basically, like, it just transformed into me doing, like, a free fall. Like, literally, literally Mario is skydiving. His arms are straight out. Like, he's skydiving. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. you're just falling and chasing the wonder seed, and you're getting to the bottom, and stars are coming on the side, so you have to, like – get the stars and that'll extend your time, but also makes you invincible to the, like, these like purple cloud guys that are coming across called Smulgrins. And those are, um, those just, you know, enemies that are shaped like smog essentially. And, yeah. <clears throat> but it makes you invincible if you have the stars. So that's that, that was how that hands-on session, the, the exclusive stuff that I played played out. I didn't want to give too many details for fear of spoilers. I know people like to discover stuff themselves, but I did want to give my hands on impressions of those levels that people have seen in the direct, but have not played through all the way. Like I have, um, but yeah, one of the fun little anecdotes and we'll close on this, uh, close on this segment with this little story about, uh, how difficult this game is. So I asked them cause you know, it came out like talking about badges. Badges are the things that you can, you can add into your arsenal and then choose before you go in. Do you want an active a- action badge, a, um, a boost badge, and then expert badges. Those are the three categories. Action badges are like, all right, I, if I press this button, this will happen. Uh, boost badges are just like passive abilities that you get. Like, all right, you start every level with a super mushroom automatically. Um, and then expert badges are things that are very difficult, but could be beneficial if you're able to master them. Like there's one that's like, it turns you invisible where you can't be, you can't be seen by enemies, but also Mario can't be seen by you. So like, you have to be really conscious oh. of where you are. So like the enemies won't see you, but also the player doesn't see Mario. That's really cool. And then there's another one that's uh, you're constantly in a, a state of sprinting. Like you, you can't stop sprinting. So like that would be beneficial for some levels, but you better be good at that. Yeah. <laughs> so you can get some of them at the store with the purple flower coins that I was talking about. Or 
some of them have to be earned by completing challenges. And in this discussion, Takashi Tezuka was like, there were two that I just couldn't get. There were two things I just couldn't get. And he's like, you know, I've I've beaten pretty much 100% almost every Mario game I've ever worked on, which, you know, is almost all the Mario games, if not all the Mario games. He's like, but there were just two things in Mario Wonder I just couldn't do. And That's then wild. Shiro Mori was like, I got all of them. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like those back and forths are pretty fun. But I, I got into it. Like, how difficult is this? And Takashi Tesco was like, you know what? I, I'm, I, there were a couple things that I wasn't able to do. I needed some help with a couple of them. But I'm happy that like the difficulty is where it's at because I'm, I don't think I'm as good at, at Mario games as some other people on our team are. So yeah. I, am glad it's out there because I think that if we made it to my skill level, some players would be frustrated with how easy it is. Hmm. So I'm glad that it's at the difficulty level that it is, but you know, I, I think it is a challenging game. Uh, some of the challenges are, are difficult and uh, you know, I got, some, I got a little bit of a tidbit on boss battles, which hasn't been talked about too much. And it's like, you're going to see some really unique things happening. Apparently all the bosses use wonder effects as well. So oh, that's, that's cool. exciting. So they play yeah. the the, uh, the theme of the game in that. So I am stoked for Super Mario Brothers Wonder. I don't think we're going to talk about it again on this show until it's time to talk about the review. Yeah, so, it's coming up. It's yeah, pretty wild. That. Yeah, two weeks from when this episode hits is when Super Mario Brothers Wonder comes out on Switch, October 20th. But uh, Wes, any closing thoughts any questions you have about super mario brothers wonder yeah like with this being 11 years later how do you feel like does it feel substantial and different enough to justify an 11 year gap yeah i think so i think especially with the wonder effects with the power-ups we didn't even talk about the power-ups you know there's we only know about the elephant fruit the drill mushroom and the bubble flower and you can actually go on gameinformer.com and learn about the creation of the bubble flower and the elephant fruit and learn about like what, why they wanted to have those be the abilities. And one of them was stemming from like, Oh, we want these specific gameplay actions. The other one was stemming from, there was something that we did in super Mario or new super Mario brothers. U. I think we could do better. Let's do it better mm-hmm. as a power up in, uh, in super Mario brothers wonder. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of really great creative, additions and innovations in super mario brothers wonder it does feel like they went back to the drawing board a little bit and because like like i said like i like the new super mario brothers games a lot but at the end of the day they were starting to feel kind of samey they were starting to feel like they weren't differentiated enough like if you made new super mario brothers wii hd and didn't show like the same power-ups i would struggle to tell you what screenshot or what game a screenshot from those games was from. Cause it, it just looks almost identical. And yeah, again, I, agree. I like them a lot, but yeah, I, it was time for a change. I'm glad that they're going this route. And uh, yeah, it's um, super Mario brothers wonder every time I play it, it is, it, it, it's more exciting for me. Well, that is very exciting. I can't wait. It is. I'm jealous that you've played so much and you'll probably play it before me. Uh, are you you're reviewing it for us? I am. So I yeah. will be back on this show probably in two weeks. I don't know when they're going to allow us to talk about it. I would imagine it's not going to be before the game is uh, too close to being out. Like I, I'd be shocked if it was a, it, given the schedule of all things Nintendo. I don't think it's going to be talked about in a review capacity until it is out for people. So yeah. Make sure you go to GameInformer.com slash Mario Wonder 
for all the stuff that I uh, I'm writing. I'm writing a bunch of stories, and there's gonna we're gonna have uh, some exclusive stories. Some of them are already up on GameInformer.com, so go check those out. But anything else before we wrap up, Wes? Uh, how is Mario Elephant, the big boy that's on our cover? Oh, he's great. He's he's amazing. Cool. He, uh, you know, the three things that they wanted to do with that was they wanted to make Mario grow in size, which, okay. They yeah, wanted to boy. make it so he could attack and break bricks from the side. And then they also wanted to um, spray water, which was the unique thing for me. And they were like, oh, well, we thought about it a lot and an elephant was the only form that really made sense. So that's why we have elephant Mario. Um, and he plays great. It, it's a very fun form to have. And, you know, it's very funny to see four elephant characters on screen at once because is that, just... is it a, is it a, it's not a wonder effect, right? Like it's a pickup or it power is an, up. It's like... a power up. Yeah. It's, it's, okay. it's alongside the drill mushroom, the bubble flower, the fire flower, the super mushroom, all those are in this. I don't know what other ones might be in it. Like there are probably going to be other ones, but I haven't seen them. So yeah. uh, it'd be neat. I'm sure there's like so much that they're not showing anybody or even cho- showing you for a cover story. I can't, that's gotta be so exciting to, you've just tasted what is in this game. Oh yeah. Maury, here's a quote from Maury. He said, what you've played is just a really very thin slice of what's in store. And there are a lot wilder, more inventive experiences in the full version. More than that would be a spoiler. So I just want to encourage you to give it a try and really experience it for yourself. So, yeah. Well, hopefully you give it a try. I hope other people give it a try. This small fledgling franchise. I think some people might give it a try if I had to guess. (laughs) But Wes, we're going to swap you out for the final segment here. But before you go, let the people know where they can find you online. You can find me on Twitter at LeBlancWest. You can find me on Instagram, Blue Sky, and Threads, although I haven't really been using Threads. I don't know if Threads is a thing anymore. It's hard um, but I'm just, to use it all. Right? Yeah. I'm just Wesley LeBlanc on those. Um, you can read my work on GameInformer.com. You can read my work in our issues coming up, including the Super Mario Wonder issue. And you can hear my voice sometimes on YouTube.com slash GameInformer. All right, we are going to take our only break of this episode. I guess not only break, we just had a break. We're going to take (laughs) another break here. And when we get back, we're going to get a review of Detective Pikachu Returns. We will be right back. We are back, and I want to wrap up this week's episode talking about the latest Pokemon game to hit the Switch. I'm joined by former Game Informer editor and current MinMax contributor Brian Vore to talk about his Detective Pikachu Returns review. Brian, how are you doing? Hey, doing great. It's great to chat with you about some Nintendo stuff. Congrats on the uh, Super Mario Wonder cover, by the way. Oh, thanks. Yeah, in the last segment right before you joined, we actually chopped up all the stuff that I saw. So, uh, yeah, you just missed all the fun. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I'll have to listen to it later. Uh, So we are going to talk about the Detective Pikachu Returns review that you published on GameInformer.com. You can go read it right now. But before we jump into that, this is your first appearance on All Things Nintendo. So there is a time-honored tradition and that is called First Nintendo Game, Favorite Nintendo Game. It's a way for our listeners and now viewers, hopefully if this video exports, uh, to get to know a first-time guest through the lens of their history with Nintendo. So the first part of this question I'm going to ask you is, what was the first Nintendo game you remember 
either leaving an imprint on you as a gamer or, you know, just maybe even the first memory you have related to Nintendo? Well, this is probably somewhat of a common answer, but uh, the first exposure I had to Nintendo was uh, Super Mario Brothers on NES. That was the first um, first console I ever got. I didn't even really know what video games were. It's back in the 80s, and uh, my dad got it one Christmas and was like, we heard these things were supposed to be good. We were about to get an Atari, and the sales guy was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you want to get this thing, right? So... Um, it was amazing. Uh, I, I loved that game and uh, just learning how to get through the first level was quite quite the experience, but it didn't take long before we were just playing it all the time. I mean, that is a very common answer. We also get a lot of Legend of Zeldas. And then like for some of the younger people, it's always like you know Mario 64 or Ocarina of Time, which makes me feel extremely old. But, you know, the thing about the original Super Mario Brothers is that it was just so like self-explanatory right like you just so many games now it's like all right you got to pick up a a tutorial and play through that before you can even do anything in the game but like mario it's just like yeah you know you're facing right so just go right and don't get hit by the bad guys and then like eventually you learn that like you can go down a pipe and it like really expands your horizons of like what's pop uh, possible within this game and, you know, then it's just so simple and self-explanatory. It was really the like the perfect onboarding experience for really 2D platformers as a whole, just because that was like the first like really successful 2D platformer. And that was like the I mean, the paradigm shift really in all of gaming. But like, you know, it's also an amazing first introduction into video games in general. So, I mean, that's there's a reason it is a, uh, a very common answer to that question. Yeah, so, yeah, it was a huge, huge phenomenon when it came out, for sure. So that brings us to the second part of this question, which is, what is your favorite Nintendo game of all time? Well, uh, I had to think about it, but the first thing that came into my head was uh, Super Metroid. I just um, I just love the kind of the, the dark tone and the exploration aspect, and of course, kind of the the first invention of that of that map and you know building so much on what the first two metroid games did and kind of really perfecting it and honing it um it's one of those games where i just couldn't help but just beat over and over again and like open up new save files and then if i filled up all the save slots i would delete one and start another another one over again um it was like that in super mario world i would just do that all the time um but yeah, I just <laughs> I can't imagine myself like replaying another game that much. Um, so it was it was it was a lot of fun and it was it was great to see Metroid uh, Dread come back in the last year or two. <laughs> I can't remember how long it's been now, but uh, that was that was a lot of fun to, to be able to play a new uh, kind of 2D style Metroid game. Yeah. Do you have a uh, like what was your overall opinion of Metroid Dread as like we finally got like the the much requested 2d return for that series. I thought it was fun to see um, that new take. Uh, I'm assuming there was some, you know, controversy around, you know, having to stealth and kind of watch out for uh, a lot of these uh, uh, nasty creatures. Right. Um, And it was definitely very challenging, but I think it struck the right balance of um, exploration you know, um, stepping forward in the 
in the graphical department, having fun kind of stuff take place in the background and a lot of cool different environments. I mean, it's, it's going to be hard for it to ever top, you know, super Metroid for me, but, uh, I really had a fun time with it. So did you ever play uh, Metroid fusion on game boy advance? I did. Yes. That was what I, I, that was, I was like holding off on getting a game boy advance at the time. I was like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And then that came out and I was like, well, I guess I have to do it now. <laughs> uh, and didn't have a choice. And then uh, I had to get all those stupid accessories because it didn't have a backlight, like the <laughs> dumb magnifying glass and the a crappy little light that sh- shone on it. And, you know, it had great battery life, but holy cow, just put a backlight in there, man. <laughs> and, and they did. I, I did, eventually I did, did get yeah. the SP eventually, but uh, I never looked back on the old old advance after I got the, the SP. That's for sure. Oh yeah, that was such a huge improvement. I even love the clamshell design of the the SP, like, and obviously that paved the way for what would eventually become the DS and the 3DS with having that same clamshell design with a little bit of different design elements. But yeah, the reason I brought up Game Boy Advance and uh, Metroid Fusion was I think that that is why the Emmy Robot sequences, where you have to be kind of really stealthy in Metroid Dread, was not as controversial because the producer of the series took inspiration from the SAX uh, ro- uh, parasite mm. that was in Metroid Fusion when crafting the the Emmy robot uh, sequences in Dread. So that was kind of like, oh, well, people seem to like this <laughs> stealth thing where like Samus was stripped of all of her powers and had to kind of just avoid this parasite that like took over her suit. So uh, let's do that with like these robots. So I think that's ultimately why it wasn't as controversial as uh, say it could have been if there was no like prior uh, introduction to that mechanic. But going back to your experience with Metroid, you, you mentioned like, Oh, well, super Metroid did all this amazing stuff with the franchise. Did you have experience with the, uh, the, the first game? Cause I know you said you had an NES. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely had the first Metroid and, um, you know, when I first played it, like early on when it came out, I was extra confused, but I always had a lot of fun with it. Um, and, you know, there was always that gamble, too, of like, no matter what progress you made, the passwords were so weird and the <laughs> crazy characters they had. If you miss, if you like wrote down one incorrectly, you'd just be totally screwed. And it's like, well, I guess I'll do another Justin Bailey playthrough again where you <laughs> where you get to. You know, by that time, the secret was out that Samus was a woman and you could uh, you could uh, play as her without the suit on. Um, But it wasn't until like way after the first game had been out that I decided like, okay, I'm going to sit down with this. I'm going to like sketch out the map. I'm going to make sure to get all the powers in order and like really explore everything, like bomb every wall I can and, you know, beat it the right way. And that was really satisfying. I can imagine maybe someone who was a teen at that time, like really devoting their their time to trying to beat it that way. And then I didn't play Metroid 2 until way after Super Metroid, because um, there's so much in the story of Super Metroid that is derived from Metroid 2 that I was always curious. So like, oh, I just I really should check this more out, you know, check this out more and. Um, so I think I played that on the Game Boy, the Game Boy, the Super Game Boy on Super Nintendo. Oh, I loved that up thing. on the TV. Yeah. 
but that was that was a lot of fun, and it was cool to get that remake on 3DS. Um, in fact, I kind of I had bought it right when it came out, and then I played through that slightly before Dread just to like get my Metroid chops back. That's a good call because they had that that parry that you could do in uh, Samus Returns. And that was the first time they had that in the series. And then, you know, they had that be a key mechanic in Metroid Dread. So that was actually a very wise decision on your part. Yeah, I got the timing down. It was I was ready to go out of the gate in Dread. <laughs> also, shout out to Metroid Zero Mission on Game Boy Advance, the, the remake of the first game, the NES title, because that was that's easily the best way to experience the original Metroid. And uh, it's so, so good. Highly recommend going and checking that out if you have the capabilities to do so. Um, but yeah, yeah, that was great. And it had, it had a similar thing with stealth, um, at the zero suit Samus sections where you kind of were underpowered and, you know, it was kind of another early example of, of that alternate take. Yeah. A lot of that came into play at the end in like an epilogue where Samus goes on like a space pirate ship and she loses her suit. So that's a, uh, that's a very, very like one of the best remakes I think Nintendo has ever done. And I hope that it comes forward. I don't think it's on Switch Online right now, but I uh, believe Metroid Fusion is, or at least it's announced. I don't know. I haven't checked the uh, the Switch Online catalog in a minute. But uh, yeah, th- that's a good rundown of kind of your history with Nintendo. Let's get to the latest game that you have played, Detective Pikachu Returns. Uh, you know, it, how long has it been? Five, six years since the last one? Yeah, I think it's been about five five-ish years it was like 2018 um, okay detective pikachu came out on 3ds and it was kind of a weird anomaly because pokemon is always about usually like a stick into the formula catch them all use your pokemon trainers battling um and then this came out and outside of things little offshoots here like pokemon snap um this was this was a weird one it, it broke kind of the rule of uh pokemon like being able to talk so you had this strange little pikachu with a detective hat on that <laughs> sounded like a middle-aged man uh talking to your kind of straight-laced protagonist uh the only one that can understand him so he kind of translates every pokemon you see and they're trying to solve mysteries around town like why are pokemon going berserk which seems to be a kind of a common thread in pokemon stories right yeah. <laughs> um, Ever since that red Gyarados. Yes, yes. Uh, and then also uh, the main character's father was missing. So you had that intrigue going as well. Um, but in keeping in line with uh, being able to play old Nintendo games, there's really no way to play the first game if you're curious about it, unless you yeah. track down a 3DS and a cartridge because the 3DS shop is gone and uh, it's not you know, been made available on a modern console like Switch. I was very surprised that Nintendo and and Pokemon Company did not put out like a port of the first Detective Pikachu game on Switch. Like maybe even as soon as they announced Detective Pikachu Returns, they, they that would have been an amazing like end. The original is available now on Switch. Get caught up before the new one comes out this fall. Like that would have been the perfect move, right? <laughs> but no, it's like, no, actually we're making it so you can't even buy it digitally at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Even if you happen to have a 3DS sitting around, like <laughs> there's no way you can even go into the old shop and buy it. So I'm not mistaken. It got announced 
uh, Pokemon Day this year, right? Or is that I don't remember, but I, I feel like that timing lines up. So less than a month after that is when they shut down the 3DS eShop. So it was like you had like a very, very small window. But I guess they did announce it technically that there was a new one coming like back in 2019. And then they just went radio silent. So I think everybody just assumed it was never coming out. But then we got the official reveal, I think, on Pokemon Day back in February of this year. So it, uh, it, it, it yeah, it's, some of the moves that Nintendo makes it, from a like a strategic or like release or marketing standpoint just boggles the mind at times. But uh, it seems like you liked this game a, a good amount. And, it, you know, the inability to check out the first game aside, like talk me through like what you liked about this title. Well, if you happen to have tried the first game, it's it's very similar. It uses a lot of the same formula. Um, you know, the way it works, you kind of can walk around this kind of hard cam 3D town um, and other various locations like uh, temple ruins or, um, you know, some rich guy's mansion. Um, I'm trying to keep it because there's only so much so much we can talk about there's there's like a very hard spoiler lock so i'm just trying to keep it all together um uh and uh you pretty much talk to every person and pokemon you see uh to try to solve this whatever current case you're on um gather evidence um and then you know if you stumble upon a crime scene of which you know it's like a broken statue. There's no murder in this game. <laughs> you know, uh, you're not going to be like Phoenix, right? Where you just see like a total <laughs> bloodbath rated T for teen. Um, but uh, there, you kind of forget that, you know, it's not gory and gross. Like you just kind of get pulled into the story itself. And um, what's great about this new one is instead of, only reading like text dialogue scrolling across the screen and you know investigating you know like a tomato spill or something they have incorporated vaguely like blood exactly yes (laughs) yes it's a common misconception um uh but now you can kind of team up with actual pokemon like um now forgive me if i pronounce these wrong but uh is it growlith growlith there you go you did it uh, Growlithe can pick up has a very good snout so they can pick up um, various scents so you can kind of track things through town and get, get the evidence that you need um, and Demand- is it Demanitran? Oh what is God. it? You're gonna yeah I'm not good at saying this one <laughs> Darmit oh my god now I'm looking it up I'm Dermonit- actually, it's, it's one of those that even when I'm looking at it I have a hard time pronouncing it but uh well, Darman- you guys know what i'm talking about darmanitan kind of like darmanitan yes I- i'm assuming uh, he's kind of like a snowman type of guy um but he can he can punch through break through like walls and obstacles and um it's kind of like a a lot of times it's like a pulled out top-down view um and luxray can kind of see through walls so they use that as kind of like a stealth mechanic so you see a guard patrolling back and forth, you know, like, okay, when he's turned away, I can sneak through, uh, get to the other side. If you're busted, they just light you up with a machine gun. Uh, <laughs> no, they just say, Hey, who's that? And then you just kind of like 
pop back like three seconds. It's very low consequence. The whole game really doesn't have much uh, stakes at all. Like if you guess the wrong thing, you just put an X's on and, you know, Detective Pikachu is like, I don't think that's right. And it's it's not like uh, something like a Phoenix Wright where you're going to see, you know, oh, and then Phoenix Wright's career was ruined forever because of this ter- shameful day in court. Uh, and you have to go back like, you know, five or 10 minutes in the court case. Um, so it's really, it's really user-friendly. I would say it's more kind of in the visual novel um, genre, except you can kind of move around and, you know, this new renewed interactivity gives it a little bit of spice, but it's not going to, it's not going to sizzle your brain with trying to figure out these mysteries. They're, they're very kind of upfront and it's, in a lot of mystery games too you're like i thought we all knew this but like now i guess we have to like hard confirm it to all the characters um but i think i think if you if you like pokemon and maybe you've seen the movie or played the other game and you're curious about it you know this is kind of more of the same with just a little bit extra a little bump to the graphics. I mean, this doesn't, it doesn't look like a 3d game, 3ds game anymore. So um, <laughs> it just looks like a PS2 game now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's that Nintendo like cartoon, basic cartoon style. It's not going to hurt the frame rate. It's not going to be an Elden ring, but, um, but yeah, you know, it's just kind of cartoony and there's a lot of cutscenes, a lot of voice work, surprising amount. So, um, but one thing that's that's that I really like too, as someone with little patience and who watches YouTube videos at high speed. <laughs> uh, oh my God, you do! You're one of those people. Yeah, I love it. Oh, I can't get do enough. You, of wait, it. don't tell me that you listen to <laughs> podcasts at like two times speed. Oh yeah, when I listen to the first part of this podcast, when you're talking about Mario, it's going to be 1.5 at the least. Oh my God. <laughs> do you listen to any comedy podcasts? Because I feel like I've tried that and it just ruins the timing of any like jokes that are said. Mm. Yeah. I, I listen to uh smartless from time to time and yeah, I try, I, I don't go as fast on those, <laughs> but if it's like news and, and a lot of other stuff, I just, I just like a little zip. It some reason makes me, I know some people that they can't follow it along, but for some reason it makes me pay attention more when it's like, Oh, if I don't listen hard, I will miss everything that's said. So hmm. I, I do a lot of that. Fair enough. It's but not for me, but I, I appreciate that anybody can do that. Yeah. And th- that is to say you have the option. If you're a freak like me to make everything faster, like you can have the text just like pop on screen instantly and you can mash through it, read it as fast as, as possible. You can, um, you know, put a dash on one of the triggers so you can zip around town a lot faster. Um, and then you can even fast forward cutscenes. One of the thing that's that that was kind of a bummer about that is that it totally mutes. There's subtitles on everything, like hard baked in, mm-hmm. but uh, it totally mutes the action. So oh. I don't know. I wouldn't mind hearing like a zippity bippity fast talking and sound effects to go along with it but you still get to read what's happening. So that was nice. One thing that I liked in the preview build that I played, I guess that was just over a month ago now was that like, it really leaned into kind of like the goofiness of like, there's a, like a, I'm assuming he's a teenager, Tim. He's like a, 
like a human teenager walking around with this Pikachu who has the personality of a middle-aged man. And like, it leans into the goofiness of that premise, but also the premise that it is a Pikachu with a middle-aged man's personality. And then like some of the scenarios that you get put in, like require Pikachu, like you can have Pikachu do like embarrassing stuff. Like there was one that I played that like, it's like, how do we want to draw out this Pokemon? And it's like, well, we could stand on a rock or we could have the Pikachu serenade him and try to see if that draws him out. And then like the song goes on for way too long. If you choose that, and it's like, it actually like leans into it. Like Pikachu is going la, 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 la. <laughs> and it's like, it plays out the scene instead of him just being like, no, I don't think that's a good idea. Like, does it do that for a lot of stuff where it like, just really like embraces the absurdity of everything? Yeah, he's, and it plays up too that he's kind of one of the smaller Pokemon. So when he's interacting with, with bigger ones, like he'll get, tossed around and um you know if he's he needs to get up and ride on a bigger one he always has to ask for help and um he's a fiend for coffee like he can't get enough <laughs> he's always whenever you're back at the apartment because it's a couple of a man and a, a pokemon uh bachelor pad uh he's always like oh we're running out of coffee beans we got to go get some more at the hi-hat cafe uh another another funny thing uh, is that this game introduces Tim's mother and sister mm. and they're in town visiting. Strangely, you know, if you've played the first game, Tim's got a studio apartment with one small bed and then a little like doggy bed for Pikachu, right? His mom and sister are never not there. So I don't know where they're sleeping, what they're doing <laughs> when he's not around. Like, there's no explanation of whether they have a hotel somewhere, but they're crammed in there somewhere. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess you just kind of have to throw logic out the window when you're talking about a Pikachu that has the personality of a middle-aged man solving crimes with a teenage guy. But um, yeah. looking at your review, one of the things that you seem to really not like was the fact that this kind of follows a lot of the same beats as the movie. So I know you, we don't want to get into spoilers, but talk to me a little bit about that issue that the, the game seems to run into. Yeah, I don't know. Have you have you seen the movie? Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people did. And why wouldn't you if you played in like the first game or even if you're just a general Pokemon fan? Uh, what's strange is that the first game is kind of a ends on kind of a cliffhanger. Like they leave the, uh, the father you're searching for is kind of, uh, still out there and unfound. And the movie, he's like, all right, you know, if you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, um, they find him and things are resolved and explained. And so this second game is in a, strange place where they're like, Oh man, we're still looking for that dad. And it's like, okay, I, I guess, yeah, that's where the game left off. But instead of like finding him right away and trying to like move past the story of the movie, it's like, or just go in a very different direction. You know, certain elements around in the game are very different than the, you know, second half of the movie. But a lot of stuff is very, a lot of the really like important parts of the, of the game 
that you're playing now, four years after the movie came out, are like, this is a little too similar to the movie. And I guess this would have had maybe more of an impact if I wouldn't have already seen this. So if you really want to come into this game clean, you have to have just played the first game and not seen the movie. And if you're coming from the movie, you're kind of like, wait, what's this story? Where am I? Like, I'm all kind of jumbled around, like what's going on here. So um, it's, it's in kind of a weird spot. I've, but you know, it'll be interesting to see. I know there's rumors of and discussion that another movie is coming. So I'm, I'm very curious where they're going to go with that movie. And then if there's ever another game, how will that play into each other? I, I just, I think maybe they probably should have both been even more different if instead of crossing the streams a little too much and then causing a little bit of confusion, I think. Gotcha. Yeah. It's uh, when I was at Pokemon company for the preview event that I went to back in uh, late August, they were very, very clear. They were like, yep, this takes place in a different like universe than the movie. Like the movie is its own thing. Like, but yeah, I mean, it sounds like a lot of the same story beats are touched on, if not followed in in the game in, in Detective Pikachu Returns. But uh, the good news is that, you know, if you haven't played the first Detective Pikachu on 3DS and you're not going to go out and drop however much money it costs to get the cartridge since you can't get it digitally anymore, uh, the Pokemon, I forget if it was the Pokemon YouTube channel or Nintendo's YouTube channel actually has a the story so far video that you can go on and watch. Oh. So if nothing else, you can get kind of like the previously on uh, kind of catch up video like under your belt there. So that is my recommendation. If you have not played the first game, but would like to kind of get a refresher on like what's happening or maybe you played the first game and you just want to like be like reminded since like we said, it's like five years ago that, that first game came out. And I would wager a lot more people saw the movie than played that first game. Yeah, I would I would say it was it was like the second largest video game movie uh, after Warcraft when it yeah, came out. That's wild. And then of course I mean, it had been it's been creamed since then by I think Sonic and Mario, but it was a it was a big deal. Yeah, that that was a very popular. I, mean, I remember going and being like, okay, maybe video game movies can be good. And then in the time since then, like just the the stock of video game movies has skyrocketed. Like even the ones that aren't very well received, like the Mortal Kombat's and the Uncharted's are still way, way better than anything that we were getting like even 10 years ago. Yeah, it's nice to see some respect, especially, you know, even in TV with The Last of Us HBO show. Oh, yeah. Um, Unbelievable. I do want to note, though, that the beginning of this game does have a recap where Pikachu is watching like the first game, some events from the first game on like a little black and white old timey screen in a tiny movie theater. (laughs) So there is some catch up. It's you don't have to only rely on the YouTube channel. Let me see where that video was so so I can actually point people to it. Um, Let's see. It is oh boy. Okay, it's on the Nintendo of America YouTube channel. It came out earlier this week. Looks like on Monday. It's called Detective Pikachu Returns: The Story So Far, just under two minutes in length. So it's a very quick catch up, but I'm. It sounds like it should suffice, right? Maybe it's even the same video that Detective Pikachu watches at the start of this story. So 
I would wager it's just the exact clip from from the beginning of the game. (laughs) But, you know, that's that's good. Get it out there. Yeah. Why not? Uh, But anything else we need to talk about uh, pertaining to your review of Detective Pikachu Returns? Well, um, I think, I mean, it's I love playing a little a little bit of mystery games. And, um, you know, this is definitely. 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 not a brain buster, but fun enough along the way. And, uh, you know, I wish I could, I wish I could give you the full spoiler rundown. Uh, it'd be fun to kind of talk about some of those elements, but, uh, it's, uh, it's a good, it's a good game and, uh, worth trying out. I think your, uh, your your kiddo (laughs) is trying to break into your office right now. (laughs) I think my daughter just got back from school. (laughs) No worries uh, at all. This is a good time to wrap it up, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah, so you gave it a 7.25 out of 10. You can read the full review on GameInformer.com. Detective Pikachu Returns is out right now as you're listening to this episode on Nintendo Switch. Brian, thank you so much for joining me for this final segment of this week's episode. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thank you so much to everyone for listening. Do me a favor, if you haven't already, throw all things Nintendo a five-star review. Hit that subscribe button. And if you want to get any questions, comments, or feedback in, you can get in touch with me at allthingsnintendo at gameinformer.com. You can also hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, threads, Blue Sky, wherever, at Brian Pichet. And you can also join us on the Game Informer Community Discord, which is a perk for subscribing to our Twitch channel, even just for one month. Uh, Brian, let everybody know where they can find you online. Well, um, I guess generally uh, Brian underscore Vor on Twitter or X is what they call. Uh, that's my We're not acknowledging that name. <laughs> public channel, I suppose. And then also, I'm assuming over on MinMax, you can check out some of your uh, your gaming expertise over on that channel. Uh, yes, but I recently did a a show called Cream of the Steam with uh, Ben Hansen and Dan Reichert, Dan Reichert over there, and uh, we just kind of played there you know there's like a bajillion games released on steam every month and so many just go completely unnoticed and there's a lot of weird stuff in there so we found the weird 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 stuff for you so if you look that one up you'll have a good time it sounds like a a very similar segment that we usually do on all things Nintendo called the eShop gem of the week so uh just kind of digging into the eShop having people bring their recommendations I knew I shouldn't have skipped that segment this week, uh, but we did. And I'll have to have you back to kind of do an eShop Gem of the Week one day. Use your expertise in uh, Cream of the Steam. All right, that a lot of fun. Yeah, I came up with that. Well, you did it. Congratulations. Uh, But that is our show for this week. Thank you all again so much for listening. Take care. We will see you next time.